Welcome to Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Onaway, Michigan. I'm Pastor Trent Wahlberg, and you're listening to Preaching and the Word. The word for this eighth Sunday after Pentecost comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 24 through 30 and 36 through 43. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, when the weeds appeared also, and the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Why then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous shall shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Last week, we heard the parable of the sower, which illustrates the profound mystery of how one enters the kingdom of God. It's a pretty simple parable that's even explained that the word of the kingdom is proclaimed on all people as seed is sown on all kinds of different soil. That word either takes root and bears good fruit in various quantities by producing the fruit of faith and godly living, or it doesn't. And that may be for a variety of reasons. While the story may be easy enough for, under, to, for us to understand, for me, I think there's something that's still a bit disquieting about it, some questions that come up that don't seem to be answered very neatly. We all know people who, for, who, who more or less match some of these descriptions of the soil. We know those whose heart is hard to the word of God, like the path, which whenever you try to share the gospel with them, it sort of just bounces off and is devoured by a, the devil as, as like a bird. We all know people whose hearts seem to be rocky, who once believed the word with joy, but had no depth of soil, and so eventually their hearts grew hard and the faith died away since it had no depth in itself. We all know people with thorny hearts who won't believe because of the riches of this world or the cares of this world or, or various other factors that strangle out their faith, like thorns and thistles strangling, strangling out the good plant. And we all know people 
who are examples of the good soil in varying degrees of, of uh, productivity, right? We all know those sort of the middle-of-the-road Christians who clearly trust in Jesus and are saved, but other than that, they don't really seem to be all that different from the rest of the world. And then we kind of know also those sort of super-Christians who, who, who just radiate the love of Christ and make us want to be better Christians ourselves, who are just very active and serving God and their neighbor and, uh, you know, just sort of the, the super-Christian, right? With a hundred-yield uh, fruit. It isn't difficult to overlay this parable in our lives in various ways and see how it applies, but it doesn't give us much practical application to work with. We have all seen the word of the kingdom fall in every kind of soil, and we want to see the kingdom grow, but it sometimes seems that there is more failure than success. There seem to be more soils that are hostile to the word of God than those that are receptive to it at times. So what can we do to help, we wonder? If only we could make them see, if only we could do something to help that seed take root and grow, if only they could understand what a wonderful gift they have received in God's Son. How can we weed out that garden and take away people's stumbling blocks? How can we till that soil and make it more receptive to the Word of God? What can be done? Perhaps you've asked if there's anything that you could have done or said differently to prevent a fellow Christian's faith from being strangled out and dying and leaving the faith. After one has understood the parable of the sower, these are the sorts of questions that tend to spring up. After Jesus explained the meaning of this parable, he told another parable, which is our focus for today. And this parable is also about a sower who sowed good seed into his field. Some may disagree with me, but I have always seen these two parables of the sower and of the weeds as connected. I might even go so far as to say that the parable of the weeds in the field is a sequel to the parable of the sower, maybe not a continuation of the same story, but more of a, of a, a, a different story that adds another layer of complexity and meaning on top of it to answer some of the unanswered questions from the previous. In this story, the sower seems to be the same. It's the Son of Man, Jesus, who sows the seed into the field. The seed, however, in both of these stories is different. In the previous parable, the seed is the word of the kingdom. And in this one, it's the sons of the kingdom, you and me. In this parable, the problem isn't with the soil and rockiness or the thorns and thistles or whatever, but it's a competing seed which was sown by an enemy in the dead of night while his men were sleeping. The deception that had taken place wasn't hard for the servants of the master to find out, and their question is not unlike our own. They asked, Master, did you not sow good seed into your field? How then does it have weeds? Why do some believe and others not? Why is it that all of the grain in the field is not yours? From whence has this evil come? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. 
as we have seen before in the parable of the sower, the word of the kingdom is not, if the word of the kingdom does not take root in anyone's heart, it's not the fault of the seed or of the sower. Rather, it's a problem with the soil, that it's hostile to the word in some way. So also in this parable, if there is any evil in the world, like weeds among wheat, it's not the fault of the seed. It, it was good seed, as he said, but it's the fault of the enemy who has sown it, who is opposed to God and sows those seeds of division and enmity. Clearly, God is not the author of evil. We know that. God loved the world so that he gave his son. He sows the word of his kingdom on the whole world so that everyone may believe and come to the knowledge of the truth. But still, many don't believe. And that's difficult for us. There is still evil in the world. And this ought not be so. We still battle with the devil and our own sinful flesh every day. What gives? If God is good, why does he allow this kind of evil to persist? Why do the wicked prosper? Why do the innocent waste away? Is it that this is what the servants in the parable also wanted to know? What can we do about it? Do you want us, Lord, to go into the field and pull out all these weeds? Should we take it upon ourselves to uproot every evil and cause of offense in the world around us? We have all seen things, seen that things are not as they should be. An enemy has sown weeds, and so we rightly want to make it better. As a result, we're often tempted to want to take matters into our own hands by pulling up those weeds ourselves, sort of cleansing the earth, as it were. And this might be done in a variety of ways, some of which might be sort of radical solutions like vigilante justice, violence, or some kind of jihad against unbelievers and evil people. There have been a number of examples of this throughout history that even Christians have engaged in. Perhaps the most famous of these would be things like the Spanish Inquisition or the Salem Witch Trials. These were both attempts by Christians to weed out heresy and evil from the world. I think an argument could be made, if we're honest, that they meant well. I think they must have thought they were fighting evil and the devil in the world in some way, right? But they, the way they went about doing it, by using violence and all sorts of other sort of wicked methods, left, uh, turned out to leave a black mark on the church. In fact, the enemy uses these very examples against us in order to embarrass, embarrass us and hurt our credibility. The devil says, you call yourself a Christian. Well, look at what Christians did back then at this time. Look how wicked they were. You think you're better than us. Right? The devil hurls our own sins, however well-intentioned they may have been, against us. That's why it's important for us always to be careful and to remember not to return evil for evil. Because it can come back at us. There are more ordinary ways, of course, also, that we attempt to pull out weeds in our everyday interactions with one another. 
when we criticize one another and fail to extend grace, we also pull up wheat along with the weeds when we do that. No one likes to have evil done to them. It isn't right. Whenever your spouse lies to you or a friend betrays you or your brother in Christ says something that offends you, whether it's intentional or not, when someone sins against us, we're tempted to respond in kind. Evil for evil, blow for blow, fire with fire. All's fair and, uh, I don't know, love and war or whatever, I don't know. When you become self-righteous and try to justify our actions in the name of God, we end up doing more harm than good. We might convince ourselves that what we're doing is really right or God-pleasing. Right? I think an argument can be made that everyone who has committed acts of atrocity in some way has somehow justified it to themselves. To say that this is for the better, for the betterment of the world. You know, if only we can sort of eliminate these people then all of a sudden the world will be better, right? It's all the same thing. Though you are God's wheat and children of the kingdom, the weeds of the world still cling to your flesh. Believers and unbelievers are different, as are wheat and weeds in the parable. But in this world, it's never that neat or easy to separate the two. That is why when the servants asked if they should pull up the weeds, Jesus said no, lest in pulling up the weeds you uproot the wheat along with it. We cannot remove evil from the world or from ourselves. Whenever we try to uproot sin in the world, we inevitably uproot ourselves along with it because we also are sinners. That's why we must trust in God to be the judge. He will sort it all out. The beauty of a good story is that it teaches you what you need to know in a way that you may not always realize that you're learning. And Jesus was a master storyteller. We often want to dissect a story and overanalyze it, pulling out every bit and trying to make it uh, mean more than it is. But really, the story is pretty simple. I've heard some commentators talk about how the specific species of the weed that the enemy sowed in the field was uh, this specific kind of weed that looked identical to wheat until, uh, until it's fully grown. Therefore, that's why you don't want to pull out the weeds uh, too early, because in doing so you'll pull up the wheat, uh, because you can't tell them apart, right? So in other words, the argument is that Christians and Un, the believers and unbelievers are identical. You can't tell them apart. I don't know if that's entirely true. There may be something to this analogy, but clearly the servants noticed pretty early on that there were weeds in the field. They could tell that there was a difference. Though the wheat and the weeds are different things, we must all recognize that there are weeds in our own hearts too. When it comes to dealing with evil in the world, we're often impatient. We want the problem to be handled, and that's good. It is frustrating to have a garden full of weeds. Sin infects everything around us, and the enemies of Christ and his church make life difficult and cause all kinds of damage. This is true. But I think the caution is to say 
that before we go around weeding out the garden of the world, first we must deal with the weeds in our own heart. We should resist evil, yes, but that includes the evil within each of us. We cannot uproot all the evil in the world because that would entail uprooting ourselves too. Jesus is the one who dealt with evil. He is in control. He is the Lord of the harvest. He came into this world in order to save us. He healed the sick, cast out demons, proclaimed good news to the poor so that we would live by faith in him alone. He plucked up the weeds from your heart by dying in your place. He forgives your sins and reconciles you to God by rising from the dead so that you would walk in newness of life with him and produce bountiful fruit by faith in his name. It's hard not to feel impatient for God's justice against evil, to be eager for the wicked to perish and all these things that we hear in the Psalms. We want to see results. We want to see God's righteousness in the world and the schemes of the devil thwarted. There are all kinds of questions that continue to trouble us that we would like for God to explain. Why do the wicked prosper? Why do our children victimized? Why do the innocent suffer? Why do people lose the faith in the God that they once loved? Why do people not want to be healed by Jesus? It doesn't make sense. I can't give you an answer except to say an enemy has done this. So why doesn't God do something about it? What's taking him so long? When he when, we, when will he come again to judge all this evil? Well, I don't know when, but I know that he has already done something about it. By coming to this world and suffering with us, he understands the plight that we're in. Everything that he does, he does for your good. He knows what he's doing and permits the weeds and the wheat to coexist for a little while in order to prevent any harm from coming to his precious crop. All we can do is trust in Jesus. Though he may allow evil to remain with the good for a little while, it can be hard for us to sort it out. He knows how to sort it out. In the end, Jesus will sort everything out. In the end, he will destroy all evil, including the evil that continues to cling to our own flesh. Rest assured, in the end, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father, he who has ears, let him hear. In the name of Jesus, amen. And may the peace of God surpass his understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to this show. If you would like to support our ministry here at Holy Cross in Onaway, you can share this podcast and give us a five-star rating. If you would like to make a financial gift, please make checks payable to Holy Cross Lutheran Church and mail it to us at 3786 Glacier Road, Onoe, Michigan. That's G L A S I E R Road, Onoe, Michigan, 49765. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. <laughs>